This week's reading is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 40. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the God did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who had held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you were to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up at the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 
After you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire, as you have, and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation, by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? For by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes, you were shown these things so that you might not so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. To drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance, as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God gives you for all time. This is God's word. Good evening, let me add my uh, welcome. My name's uh, Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Uh, Father, you commanded your people, Israel, to assemble before you, to hear your words, so that they may learn to revere you as long as they live. And Father, here we are this evening, your people, assembled before you, wanting to hear your word so that we're changed, so that we're transformed, so that you give us hearts that would long to and would be able to revere you and love you and obey you all the days of our lives. Father, please speak in that way we pray. Amen. Uh, earlier in the week, it was Wednesday morning, 
I uh, woke, uh, as I normally do most mornings, and um, uh, I did my ablutions as, uh, before the rest of the family were up and uh, made the first cup of tea, which is always a strong one, um, uh, because you need it. Uh, oh, I do, I'm afraid. Uh, and as uh, I went through this sort of normal daily ritual, uh, then to my great surprise, uh, the Lord addressed me personally. It wasn't what I was expecting, um, actually. But uh, he addressed me and, um, in words of rebuke and encouragement, told me to rejoice in him. Uh, I felt somewhat of a rebuke that I have been, of recent weeks, a little joyless. And he very strongly said, rejoice in him. And help your family to give thanks for the many blessings I've given them and you. And rejoice in me. And to be honest, I was just somewhat overwhelmed by that for the rest of the day. I mean, I managed to carry on through work, of course, etc. And useful things were done. But that was just the dominant thought. Because the Lord had addressed me with it that morning. And he did so because I happened to be reading the middle sections of Deuteronomy. And I read Deuteronomy 12. And overwhelmingly, the call of Deuteronomy 12 is rejoice. And give thanks for all the many good things you give me. At the, the following day, presumably Thursday, uh, I read the second half of the chapter. I've been so sorry, I only got halfway through. And the second half of the chapter uh, struck vividly three times the Lord commanded me to eat whatever I wanted and whenever I wanted. And to be honest with you, I didn't know what I was meant to do with that. As is probably your experience sometimes when you read the Bible. What am I meant to do with that? Three times. Eat as much meat as you want. All right. Um, uh, but it was okay because... I still fed on what he'd given me the day before, that I was to rejoice in him. He gives many, many good things, salvation above all things, but many temporal blessings in this life, which I am to rejoice and give thanks for. And some days are Wednesday, aren't they? And some days are Thursday. But they're still the Lord speaking. Some days he addresses us as we open his word and we think, wow. Uh, and other days it's sort of, okay. Uh, I kind of get something from that. Not, not quite as forceful as yesterday, Lord. But I know you're speaking to me. It is an extraordinary privilege. I mean, what a blessing that God spoke. And he does so every morning as I come with my tea and I open his word. And he commands and he comforts. And he warns, and he repairs, and he speaks. It is a wonderful blessing. And here we are this evening, uh, with our Bibles open, uh, listening to a sermon. Well, you're listening, I'm talking. But uh, listening to a sermon, uh, and it's a sermon this evening uh, about a sermon that was preached about 3,000 odd years ago, about a sermon preached 40 years before that. So you are listening to a sermon about a sermon about a sermon, which is odd. And yet, the Lord will address us and speak. And you can go anywhere else in this city. And outside of a church where the Bible is opened, you'll not know that anywhere else. That the God who rules over all addresses his people. Assembled together, we take it for granted. It's an extraordinary thing. 
If you're just joining us this evening, last week we started looking at this book of Deuteronomy. Overwhelmingly a book then that calls uh, upon God's people to, uh, to listen to him and uh, love him. Uh, listen not in the sense of allowing sounds to hit our eardrums, but listen in the sense of uh, hearing with a response. So when you get the command to listen, or uh, as it's translated here, chapter 4, verse 1, now Israel, hear. That is, hear in a way you respond to, uh, not just allow it to wash over you. Hear, listen to my words and respond by loving me, which will be seen in obeying me and walking in my ways. Uh, Last time we began looking at chapters 1 to 3, and uh, chapters 1 to 3 were the history lesson. The whole book really is an exhortation to uh, choose to love the Lord, listen to him and love the Lord, or obey him. Those terms become almost synonymous in the book of Deuteronomy. The whole book is a command, actually, to, to, to do so today. Resolve today to obey the Lord. And, and when tomorrow comes, resolve then, that day, to obey the Lord. In fact, every day when you hear the voice of the Lord, you decide again, I will follow him. I will love him. Every day is today in the book of Deuteronomy. So the history lesson last time, the encouragement there was, I guess, from Moses. Hey, do you remember your history? When you obeyed the Lord, it went well with you. When you disobeyed him, it didn't go so well. Uh, And that's a pattern we'll see throughout this book. Chapter 4 is the same call to obey. So uh, uh, we had the reading, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them. Obey me. And then at the end of the chapter, chapter 4, verse 40. uh, There's no other God like him. Keep his decrees and commands. That is the overall point. Obey me, follow me, love me, and let me see it in the way you walk in my ways. Now, the guts of the text, though, really is verses 9 to 31, which Jenny read for us. You get a threefold warning there. We'll get to them in time. But before we look at that, I just want to pause. I wasn't quite sure where in the series we were going to do this, so we're doing it tonight, just to pause on the, uh, the issue that lurks constantly in the book, really, that God says, I give you the promised land. So uh, here in uh, verse 21, the Lord was angry with me, says Moses, because of you, he solemnly saw that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land. The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The promised land is a gift for Israel. And yet repeatedly also they're told you'll only get in and you'll only stay in the land if you obey. So the promised land for them is both gift and depends upon their obedience. Now, that's quite important, because how do we read that as Christians? In simple terms, our promised land, heaven, glory, the new creation, it's a gift? Yes. And yet there is a sense, rightly understood, that if we've received that gift, embraced it, said, yes, Lord, I trust in Jesus Christ, I know he's the only way I get to heaven, then our lives will change. And the fact that we've embraced the gift, received it, will be seen because we obey him. So I don't know if the little table is helpful. I think, uh, just spelling out some things, many of us recently would have looked at the book of um, Hebrews, 
So I've given that as by way of comparison. But look, I've given you some of the references. Uh, For Israel, life in the promised land, it's God's free gift. Just in chapter 4, verse 21, or or chapter 4, verse 40, it's a gift the Lord gives for all time. And yet, repeatedly, it only belongs to those who obey. You'd have to say, in Deuteronomy, the expectation is they won't. Actually, every generation has to choose whether to accept the gift. God says, Israel... I give you the promised land. Now, you lot, are you going to obey? And what about the next generation? And what about the next generation? It will belong to Israel forever, but but each generation's got to decide. And actually, overall, the book is very pessimistic. And even tonight, we'll see, Moses says, and you'll fail in the future because you won't obey me, because you won't love me, because you don't listen to me. But even then... Grace wins in the end. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, let me try and give you something. This doesn't work brilliantly, but um, uh, uh, one of my uh, little privileges, I am a member of the Lansdowne Club, which is a private members club uh, just around the corner from here. And uh, if you'd like to join, you can't, I'm afraid. It's private. Um, well, you can. If you've, uh, but uh, a number of years ago, 10 years ago, very kindly, someone gave me membership. Now, the entrance fee is a very large four figures, um, which I would not have paid myself. I have no capacity to do such a thing, to spend on something so frivolous. Um, but um, someone paid, very generously. And so I have access to the promised lounge. <laughs> well, it's actually a real lounge. There's a, a few number of lounges. But I have access there. Now, there are some rules to the club. And if I arrive on any given day without a jacket, the uh, very charming doorman, Andrew, who is considerably taller than me, will say, uh, oh, good afternoon, Mr. Fuller. You appear not to have a jacket. I'd love to welcome you in when you're wearing one. It's very polite, but in other words, get out. Now, if I return the next day wearing my jacket, I'm allowed in. I have membership. It's mine. It was a gift. But I only get in and maintain my presence if I obey the rules. It's a sign of belonging, as it were. That was true, it's not perfect, but that was true for the nation of Israel. The land was a gift. Belonged to them, it's theirs. Welcome any time. But they did have to show that they were members. They had to show that they loved the Lord in their obedience. And they would not in the fullness of time. You come to look at the Christian and, well, the individual Christian, it's not quite the same. So those who've looked at the book of Hebrews... We know, obviously, entrance, forgiveness of sins, access to God, entry into the promised land, that is a gift. So, Hebrews 10, for one example, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's a gift. It's the only way any of us enter into heaven is because of what Jesus has done for us. He's paid for our sins, for the things we've done wrong. He's lived a perfect life in our place. It's a gift. And yet Hebrews 12, some of you looked at this sort this week. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Because if you refuse to obey the living God, you won't get in. Because obedience in the Christian life is a mark of being a Christian. It just reveals that you've received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. The massive difference between Israel in the Old Testament and a Christian today is the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. 
And so the New Testament, by contrast, in the, in, for Israel, pessimism. Most generations will fail, but God will never forget them. But for the New Testament, the New Covenant, as Hebrews would emphasize it, optimism. Oh, look, a few people who call themselves Christians will stop obeying the Lord and give up on the Christian life. A few will, but they were never genuinely converted, never really believers. But because the Spirit dwells within a Christian, even if they go down the cul-de-sac of rebellion from time to time, they'll emerge and they will walk the way of obedience, which shows they're a believer, shows they love the Lord, and they'll be there in the promised land of heaven. And so Moses begins off in chapter 4. Look, that's a sort of issue that's just there all the time in Deuteronomy. If you're going to read it, you've got to, you've got to grapple with that. Uh, do come back and ask if you want. But here in chapter 4, so Moses begins in uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, saying just that. Look, hear and respond. That is the way to life. That's the way to embrace life, life in this world and the world to come, really. And then verses 5 to 8, he says, oh, look, you know, obey the law because that has an impact upon the watching world. So verse 5, see, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land. You are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, wow, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God expected Israel to obey him and all the other nations to go, Hey, you live differently from all of us. Why? Well, we've got these, this teaching from the Lord. Well, that's fantastic. Tell me about your God. And in that sense, the true would be the same would be expected, I guess, in, in the church. The most common reason that people come along on a Sunday morning or evening, who, who wouldn't call themselves Christians if you're here tonight. Probably the reason you've come is because you know someone who is a Christian and they just live differently and you think that's very interesting. Why do you not do that? Why do you do that? Huh. Odd. Tell me a bit more about your God. Wow, that's interesting. Tell me a bit more. That's what was expected uh, here in Israel. Uh, wonderfully, it still happens today. So uh, hear and respond, that's the way to life, one to four. And also it has an impact upon the watching world, verses five to eight. But in chapter four, the guts of the passage really is, listen to his voice. And be careful, because you'll be tempted not to and to listen to other voices. So you get the threefold warning in the chapter. Verse nine. Be careful and watch yourselves closely so you don't forget the things your eyes have seen. Verse 15, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so you don't become corrupt. Verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God. Three times, just, just watch yourselves, Israel. Verse 9 is, is, uh, is a sort of tautological sentence, really, if you translate it uh, literally. It's, be extremely careful to guard your souls from forgetting. What a thing. I mean, only your grandparents would say that to you today, wouldn't they, in those sort of language. Be extremely careful to guard your soul from forgetting. But you get his point. Take care. So let's look at these, uh, this, the, the, the guts of the passage by, by framing it around these three warnings that come, verse 9, 15, and 23, okay? So look, remember the Lord spoke from the fire, 
9 to 14. So don't bow down to an idol, 15 to 22. Oh, and then briefly, when you forget, the Lord will not. Okay. So most of our time on those first two. Remember the Lord spoke from the fire, 9 to 14. So don't bow or make an idol, 15 to 22. Remember the Lord spoke from the fire. Let's read verse 9. Only be careful. Well, let's pick it up from verse 8 then, so we get the flow of it. What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Now, um, back in Exodus 19, the nation of Israel arrives at Mount Sinai or Horeb. One mountain, two different names. Um, that's how it is. Uh, but they arrive there and they spend about a year there uh, receiving God's teaching, his law from them. But it starts off, if, if you know, in Exodus 19, well, they're all a bit terrified. God speak. I mean, they come to Mount Sinai and it's somewhat of a volcanic experience. There's sort of, well, you get a little description of it, a mini description of it here in verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Don't you forget that, uh, Moses or, or the Lord says. Do you not remember you were there? It was extraordinary, unforgettable, this thing that took place in front of you. And then maybe you'd have had that experience a number of years ago. Uh, on our wedding anniversary, we went away for a night and stayed in some uh, little rural village, and it was fireworks night, and they had this sort of fantastically uh, uh, rustic fireworks display. No, no one had even heard the phrase health and safety, and as if they had it done, that <laughs> uh, would have been the, uh, the appropriate, no, the inappropriate um, uh, greeting, sorry, uh, that um, they had met. But so they had this fire, and it was a bit of a, a big old bonfire, but a bit of a damp squib at first. It was sort of, sort of puttering along, and so someone issued a command, a bit feeble, this one, Henry. And uh, so uh, Henry came with his sort of um, pump of oil, you know, the uh, thing uh, on the on the flames. It was, uh, up it went, oh, much better. And um, sort of his, his eyebrows were singed and back he fell. Uh, and uh, then he, the, the flames rose and they got as high, far, as high as the guy on top. And the um, someone had very sensibly uh, stuffed the guy full of fireworks. And a couple of them went, wee, wee. And most of them went, uh, and uh, small children and parents were all screaming. And uh, Henry was, ha, 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 And, uh, you know, I seem to remember sort of ducking and hitting the ground myself. It was the most memorable fireworks display I've been to. You remember stuff like that. If a volcano goes up in front of you and you're stood at the foot of the mountain and there's thunder and lightning exploding around you, yeah, you, you, you'd remember that. And yet look what he says. Verse 10, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. And one in particular, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words. That's what matters. Not the fireworks. Hear my words. 
so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw nothing. You saw no form. There was only a voice. Exodus 19, there's a sort of volcano going off in front of them. And then God speaks, and the people go, Ah, Moses, don't let him speak to us, don't let him speak to us, it's terrifying. When he speaks, when they hear his voice. It is, um, again, it's a very strange construction, uh, that the original language here in, um, in verse 12. It's literally, uh, you saw the sound of words, you saw no form, only a voice saw you. I had no idea what that means. You saw a voice. Which is why they translated, you heard a voice. Or only a voice. Because it makes no sense. But the point is, what you saw is irrelevant. What you heard is everything. And the voice of God addressing you was so... Vivid, so overwhelming, so powerful. I'm going to say you saw a voice. There's no sense. Extraordinary. Now, why is Moses reminding them of this? Because they were no longer at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. But they could still have the same experience because they had the voice of God, because they had his word. And the Torah, the teaching, God's word, these first five books of the Bible, Moses is saying it's a bit like you've got a portable Sinai experience that every time you open your scriptures, the volcano explodes, but ignore all the visual stuff. What do you hear? Throughout the passage, Moses says, you were there. Remember what you saw. You saw no form, but you heard a voice. The only thing is, the people that Moses is speaking to in Deuteronomy 4, most of them weren't there. Sinai, Horeb, 40 years earlier. All the adults from that generation were dead. Some of the children would have grown up, but all the adults were gone. But Moses can say to everyone there, even though they weren't, you were there. Because they're receiving the voice of God. They're receiving the word of God in the same way the people were 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai, Horeb. And so in that sense, you were there. You're hearing it. You're getting the same voice. Again, this is too weak. It doesn't quite work. But um, uh, no, 20 years ago at our wedding, um, if, if, you've been, if you are married, you'll know when it comes to your own wedding, you get very little control over what happens. Um, but uh, one thing I was sort of quite clear about at our wedding, I didn't want a videographer. 
Uh, that word's probably gone out of date now, but that's what they were called back then. And because um, I thought it was a bit naff and intrusive having someone with a video camera. I mean, these days it's fine, you have a phone, but you know, 20 years ago, you know, it's like, uh, this camera, this sort of size. And I didn't like that. I thought it was a bit intrusive. Um, but uh, I was overruled, as in many things. Um, I won't say by who. Um, but but um, I love my mother-in-law very much. The, um, the, uh, but I'm so glad that she was right. Because it made me realize the, um, I only had one grandparent, uh, still alive by that point, my nan, but she didn't, she was just a bit unwell to travel. And so for her sake, if no one else, the salient points of the day were recorded. So to my horror, but later pleasure, uh, the vows in church, parts of the church service. Don't do that! Uh, but they did. Um, and then in particular, uh, when it came to the speeches after dinner, uh, I was able to say a few things about my family, uh, and one or two things about Nan, who couldn't be there, but uh, as my last remaining grandparent, was uh, was quite dear to me. Now, a week later, she saw all that. She heard the voice, and I was addressing her as if she'd been there. She missed out on the dancing, but that's okay when you're in your eighties. Um, she missed out on the food of the time, but she heard the voice and she got the message. So she was there. Well, that doesn't quite do it. But in that sense, Moses is saying to the 30-year-olds who weren't even born at Mount Sinai, you were there. You get the same voice. You didn't see God, but you hear him. Remember that the Lord spoke from the fire. God addressing you personally, intimately, and says, Moses, he's doing it now. Remember the Lord spoke from the fire. Uh, Therefore, really, it moves on verses 15 to 22. Don't make or bow down to an idol. Verse 15. Look at the contrast that's here. Uh, Verse 15 and 16. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt, and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man, woman, bird, animal, la, 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 and on he goes with those things. Do you see the contrast that's there? You saw nothing visible, but you had the audible word of God. So don't make a visible idol when you have the Lord who audibly speaks. That's the contrast. It's not between uh, visible gods like idols and an invisible God. It's between the one who, invisible, sorry, visible things which don't speak and the Lord who speaks audibly. I've said that badly. But you get the point. Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Let me say it again. Uh, The contrast is between the visible, don't make those things because you saw nothing, and the audible. An issue in the end becomes one of control. As soon as you make a human image, or the image of an animal, or the image of the stars, you're in control when you make something. Whereas if an other speaks to you, they have control. 
you try and put it this way. The, uh, this is a, 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 it's not an illustration as such. It's an observation C.S. Lewis makes in, um, uh, when his wife died, he writes a very moving book uh, called A Grief Observed. Uh, I, I encourage you to read it at some point, particularly if that's your experience. It's very moving. He writes very well. Uh, one of the things he comments on is the shallow way in which people say to him of his wife, oh, she'll live on in your memory. And he writes, no, no. That is precisely what she will not do. She will not live on. In my memory, she's an image, an idol that I control. And so a remembered image uh, smiles or frowns or laughs or is argumentative as my mood desires. I remember Joy, my wife, I remember her in a way which fits me. I control her in my memory. In life, she was not like that. I did not control her. She would argue with me when I didn't want it. She would frown or smile when she desired, not at my whim. She was other. And that's living. And don't you tell me that she lives because she doesn't. Very true, I think. And that is the point here in the creation of some form of idol. When we make God fit our image, he fits our moods. So we want a God who tells us, hey, hoard your money. So we create a God in our mind who says, hoarding your money is good. For you, or whatever it may be. A God who says, uh, live immorally, but as long as you turn up and confess your sins once a week, God will always forgive you. It doesn't matter if you mock his name all week long. As soon as you create an image, you're in control. But Moses is saying, God is not that. And when you let him address you, when he speaks to you, and you listen, that is, you hear with response, you change. He sets the agenda. You are not in control, and he is. So don't create a picture of God, be it physical or mental. Don't make a God. Three times, don't you do that, says Moses. Because God does not fit our agenda. He's the living God. He's the speaking God. He's the true God Listen to him. Remember the Lord who spoke from the fire. Don't make or bow down to an idol. For Israel, here they needed to know this. Look, verses 23 to 31 briefly. Uh, when you forget, wonderfully the Lord will not. Let me read verse 23 and 4. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Jealous not in the sense of controlling. That's what human jealousy is. I don't like it when you speak to her. I feel jealous. Not in a controlling sense, but jealous in the sense of well-being. I am concerned. I am jealous that my son does not waste 12 hours a day on PlayStation 
but does some work for school at some point. I am jealous for him in that regard. I want what is best for him. That is the Lord's jealousy. Verse 25, after you've had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. Oh. Oh, in the future, when you bog it, I'm afraid you will get kicked out of the land. You get that here. It's sort of bookended again in chapter 28 with the same warning. I call heaven and earth against you. But then there is hope for them. Something odd happens. You don't really quite clock it in, uh, uh, in the English. But in verse 29, all the you's, Verse 29, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. From verse 29 onwards, all the yous are singular. Pretty much, and for the first 28 verses, it's all yous plural. Because Moses uses the plural to say, hey, you and you and you and you, Israelite. You, you individually need to decide to follow the Lord. You individuals need to decide to love him. Listen to him, love him. Obey him. You, all of you, 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 plural, need to decide to do that. Verse 29, he says, you singular nation of Israel, you'll bog it. But I will never forget you because you're my promised people. He addresses the nation as a whole from verse 29 onwards and says, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. If you seek him with your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you'll return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He'll not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Here is hope for Israel, the nation in the Old Testament. Three times in Deuteronomy 4, don't forget. But when you forget, the Lord will not. Because he's promised to love you. And his grace will in the end trump your failure. Not necessary for every individual in Israel. Some generations died in exile. But in the end, he'll bring his people back to the promised land. The conclusion comes really to the whole chapter in verses 32 to 40. And the point here then is, once again, to impress upon them the choice Let me read these and then we're pretty much done. The purpose is to impress on them. Well, let me, it is a choice again that they're meant to make today. So numerous times in this chapter, verse 4, verse 8, verse 26, Moses says, today is the moment you have to decide. And there's a sense in this book of Deuteronomy, today is 3,000 odd years ago in the plains of Moab. Today is 40 years before that. Mount Sinai, today is also today, the 20, whatever it is, of April 1st, I don't know, uh, 20 something of April 2018, today. His point is again, every day you live, choose to love the Lord. 
choose to listen to him, to love him, to obey him. Verse 32, here's the climax he gives them. There's, essentially, he's saying, because there's, there's no one like your God. Verse 32, ask now about the former days long before your time. From the day God created human beings on the earth, ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? No. Has any other God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things your Lord, your God, did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? No. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. No other. So verse 39, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Obey him. Keep his decrees and commands. Obey him. And to try and put that in, I guess, the language of the whole Bible or the new covenant, I guess it goes a bit like this. Tonight, Christchurch Mayfair, choose to obey the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Don't make a little God. Listen to him. Let him challenge you. Has any other God come and lived amongst his people like Jesus Christ? Has any other God experienced, felt the frustration and pain of this world like Jesus Christ? Has any other God broken into the dominion of darkness to rescue his people and bring them into a kingdom of light like Jesus Christ? Has anyone ever shown you love and tenderness like Jesus Christ? Has anyone died to rescue you for, for eternity like Jesus Christ? Has anyone conquered death like Jesus Christ? Has anyone come and dwelt within you by his spirit like Jesus Christ? There is no one like him. There is no other. He's done these things so that you might know there is no other. So as he says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. There is no other like Jesus Christ. Listen to his voice and obey him. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, there's a, a rich feast of thought in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Would we be those who listen to your voice? Know that there is no God like you, therefore love you and obey you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So why not ask one another after the service, we'll share the Lord's Supper in a moment and sing, and, but why not ask one another, can I ask you, what do you expect to happen when you open the Bible and the Lord to address you? What, what do you expect to happen when he does that? And I guess the follow-up is, are you listening? Are you hearing him?